Happy Talks with Dr. Alice and Donovan. Dr. Alice Fong is a holistic naturopathic doctor and founder of Amour de Soi Wellness. And Donovan Jensen is a software engineer and founder of HowToHappy.com. Together, they're out to cause more happiness in the world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Happy Talks. My name is Dr. Alice, and this is my co-host, Donovan. And today I have a very special guest. I'm very excited. My dear old friend from way back, Dr. Maya Rocky Moore Cummings is a policy expert and business owner on a mission to drive society towards inclusion, which is so, so needed right now with all the division that's been happening in the country, especially this past year. And so I'm really excited to have you here. Please, please welcome Dr. Maya. How are you doing today? <laughs> Dr. Alice, I am doing wonderfully. I am so pleased to be with you and your co-host. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Well, yeah, let's just get started and dive in. And why don't you share with our audience, like, what was your story that led you to your path in politics, global policy, all of, all of that? <laughs> Well, you know, I'm the fourth generation from slavery in this country, and mm -hmm. that usually shocks people because they think of four generations not necessarily being so so long. But the fact mm -hmm. of the matter is, is that my parents grew up in the Jim Crow South, and I grew up with them telling us stories about what it was like to actually have to go into the back doors of stores and how they couldn't try on clothes in stores, how they had to sit in the Negro-only section of the movie theater, how they had to drink out of Negro-only water fountains. And our lives were very different uh, because my dad went into the Air Force during the Vietnam War era and we lived on or near integrated military bases the entire time. And so my life was completely integrated. I mean, went to school with kids of all different backgrounds, lived in neighborhoods with kids of all different backgrounds, played together, prayed together. We were basically all, we saw each other on the level of our common humanity. Mm -hmm. And my whole thing is, is if we can do that on military bases across the country, why can't we do that in civilian society? Mm -hmm. And the answer is, is that, that we can. And yet nobody has set a standard uh, for us mm -hmm. to actually expect that of each other. But also we have a legacy and a history of structural discrimination where we've actually set up our communities and our neighborhoods and even our labor market in striated ways, basically where we have segmented people off uh, and limited opportunity, uh, limited chances of their development, even limited their opportunities to live long and healthy lives uh, based on discriminatory notions of who is deserving and who is not. And I'm saying that that absolutely has to end. We can do better than that. And we, we are better than that, but we've got to do better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We absolutely can. And I love that you're, you're on this mission to, to close that gap between people that, that really has been destroying our country for this past, I don't even know how many years it's been happening for a long time. And I, understand like that's also the title of your late husband's book as well and I don't know if you want to speak a little to that so as you well know we have had divisions in this country since before <laughs> this country began that's true. Um, and that women were not written into the constitution mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. of color were seen as less than human I mean literally the only people who counted at that time uh, were you know basically white men who were wealthy Mm -hmm. uh, and so we've become a society where we have challenged ourselves to do better and to be better continuously, uh, mm -hmm. you know, but it has always involved a struggle. 
uh, the struggle for women's rights, the tr- struggle for civil rights, the struggle for human rights, LBGTQ rights. Yes. Um, all of these things, ableism, I mean, mm-hmm. all of these have been movements of people trying to bring awareness to our society about how, you know, segments of our society or groups within our society have been mistreated historically. And uh, the demand is, is that we can actually build a truly multiracial, multicultural society where everyone is respected, but Mm -hmm. we have to actually drum that home that that is the standard that we expect. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of my late husband's book, uh, Mm -hmm. it covers, you know, his life. Uh, You know, he grew up in the Jim Crow South. Uh, Similarly, he was my parents' age. They Mm -hmm. were in the same category. He was 20 years older than me. And so he lived a segregated life in his early childhood. Um, and he was, on top of that, he was labeled special education, came from a poor household. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he had a lot of obstacles and hurdles in his way at a very young age. And he wanted young people to know that if he could overcome them, then they could too. He was one of the first cohorts of African-Americans to integrate Baltimore City Public Schools. Uh, he went on to graduate from Howard University, Phi Beta Kappa, uh, graduated from the University of Maryland Law School in three years, uh, got past the bar on the first time, literally became like the first ever African-American speaker pro tem of the Maryland House of Delegates and then became a very powerful U.S. congressman. And so in his book, you know, he talks about his trials and travails um, with, you know, frankly, with, with Donald Trump. Uh, And uh, as the chairman of the Oversight and Reform Committee, he had to actually lead the investigations of most of the Trump administration's, you know, actions. Everything from, you know, what happened with the uh, Russians in the 2016 election to Donald Trump's tax returns and finances to Jared and Ivanka's security clearances to what was happening to the kids on the southern border to the city's question that asked about citizenship. I mean, all of this was in his purview. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, he had interactions with Mr. Trump and, you know, basically he wanted to warn the American people um, that unfortunately he gave him the benefit of the doubt when he started out. Um, but what he saw going, you know, along the way uh, was that this man was not only not right for the position, not to be trusted, mm-hmm. he also, uh, he felt was a danger to our democracy uh, and to our humanity. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of just like really recent history that I don't think a lot of people consider. Um, and I wanted to I know this is pulling you back a little bit from what you're saying before. But what do you think the differences were? And maybe you don't have the full historical context, but maybe you do. I definitely don't. Why do you think the military was a place that was able to uh, kind of have this better integration path? Whereas mm-hmm. you don't see that as well in, in a lot of businesses or just in general society. Where do you think that uh, distinction came from and where, where do you think the split was? It was mandated. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the uh. military mandated it in the late forties and then made it a reality in the early fifties. Mm. Uh, they, it was, they felt it was un- ineffective and inefficient to actually have two systems of everything to actually accommodate blacks and whites. Mm. Uh, and that, you know, you can't win wars if you're divided from within. You've got to actually have a unified force in order to fight the enemy without. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, they made a conscious and strategic decision to fully integrate every aspect, mm-hmm. every aspect of life uh, in the military. Uh, and what you, what you have seen is that, you know, the fear in larger society is that if you integrate, 
uh, that it's going to be damaging to, you know, white kids. It's going to be damaging to their ability to thrive. It's going to be damaging to their intelligence. They're not going to learn as well with kids of color who aren't smart in their mm -hmm. thinking uh, in their classrooms. And the fact of the matter is, listen, I lived in nine different places all across the country before I graduated from high school. And I can tell you there were smart white kids, there were smart black kids, there were smart Latino kids, there were smart Asian American kids, there were smart Native American kids, there were dumb black kids, there were dumb white kids, there were dumb Latino kids, there were dumb Asian American kids, there were dumb Native American kids. Mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is, is that, you know, you have, you know, every, there's diversity on every kind of, and when I say dumb, I don't mean to be disparaging. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when I say dumb, what I mean to say is that everybody is blessed with different talents in life. Uh, and, you know, frankly, you know, I'm dumb when it comes to mathematics, uh, but I'm great when it comes to English and history. Um, and so, you know, we all have different skills and abilities um, and, and it's present across humanity, not just a characteristic of a skin color. And it's mm -hmm. stupid to actually think that it's a characteristic of a skin color. And so we are dealing with antiquated, antediluvian, you know, prehistoric um, belief systems when it comes to race in this country. And it's time for us to get over it. Mm. Yeah, Be beautifully expressed. And I really agree with that sentiment in that, you know, everyone, if anything, having more exposure to a variety of races and cultures enhances your your knowledge and your perspectives and can contribute to yourself in, in understanding so much more about the world and society that you're, you're opening your perspective in a lot of ways. Let me tell you, not only are you opening your perspective, but you're actually burnishing your credentials to actually um, do well in your career and in life. Mm -hmm. I do think that the currency of the 21st century is your ability to navigate different people and cultures uh, in a way that makes you uh, multilingual in another way, not in terms of language, but multilingual in terms of having, knowing how multicultural, knowing how to communicate, mm -hmm. get along with, understand, empathize, you know, just basically um, work uh, collegially mm -hmm. with people of all different backgrounds. Uh, because, you know, many of our corporations are diverse. Um, some operate on an international level. You can't come to a workplace uh, thinking provincially and thinking that, um, you know, that you're just going to, um, uh, you know, excel with a narrow mindset. I do think that you have to be broad in your thinking and think about your um, customers, your customer base, whether you're providing products or services, um, mm -hmm. government or non-governmental, uh, as, a, as a whole, not just in terms of one population group, but in terms of everybody. And you'll do well. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. It'd be better for business if you can interact with a wider population. And it just kind of reminded me of this story a friend friend had told me of this uh he he was he had moved to to london and he had a a redneck friend from like texas or oklahoma or somewhere who just you know had never traveled outside of the country ever in his life and he finally decided he this is a, the kind of guy that has like a shed full of guns <laughs> like that's what he does he collects the guns and and he was like really adamant and believed that all Muslims were trying to kill him. <laughs> it was like the belief that he was carrying in his brain. When he went to London to visit his friend, that friend actually had him go to dinner 
with his Muslim friend and have him interact and realize, oh, hey, not all Muslims are trying to kill me. I can actually have a civil, enjoyable conversation with another human being because they are, are really essentially another human being with the same issues and problems that we all deal with as humans. So it's stereotypes, right? Yeah, it's stereotypes. It's the, you know, you see, you watch television or the movies mm-hmm. and you think that all Muslim, if you don't have a broad level of experience with people in your immediate circles, mm-hmm. then you think that all Muslims are X or all right. Black people are Y or all right. women are Z. And the fact of the matter is, is that, um, you know, the stereotypes do damage to our ability to navigate the world. Um, yeah. And so, you know, once he has the exposure mm-hmm. and once people have exposure, then they, they know better and they do better, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's like blanket statements or generalizations about any group of population is just not a great way to navigate through the world. And I'd be curious to hear what are your ideas or strategies as far as like closing the divide and mm-hmm. promoting more division? Like what, what do you have in mind for for us as a as a society so i have i i am writing a book um Mm -hmm. called rageism and the the idea is that you know in terms of politics and policy we actually need to put guardrails around our systems uh to actually kind of um eliminate uh the role of discrimination in terms of how we serve people Um, And so, you know, there are all kinds of tools and practices that I'm discussing in this book about how we do that. Um, We've had a history of trying to do it, but I don't think that we always do it and we don't do it well most of the time. Mm. Um, I also think that we need to tackle, you know, uh, Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) I think that Hollywood is doing us all a disservice, um, Mm -hmm. you know, when they operate in traffic and stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you can't change the hearts and minds of people without changing the imagery that they actually see and ingest uh, mm-hmm. in, 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 in life. And so I think that it's important that we, we get that under control too. Um, and then, you know, I do think that schools and communities need to uh, do a better job of exposure and education. Uh, history uh, that needs to be diverse, uh, education and exposure to different people and cultures. I mean, all of this needs to be a part of uh, how we actually grow young people who are sensitive, aware, and empathetic, uh, Mm -hmm. and who are knowledgeable and able to navigate and, um, you know, thrive in a very diverse society. Um, So, you know, for those who live um, in, you know, by the way, I've lived in Oklahoma. (laughs) (laughs) I've lived in Texas. Mm -hmm. I have lived in Illinois. Mm -hmm. I have lived in Washington state. I have lived in places that are considered Mm -hmm. very white. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, um, it's just about exposure. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I do think that just with a little bit of effort um, that, that, that can be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd be curious to dig in a little bit more and I don't want to, you know, try to back you into a corner or anything, but like dig in a little bit more on what you think some of the, the steps or policies or things that we can do. Like, you know, you said some of the things we've tried, but they haven't really worked. And there are some things that you think might work better. I'd be curious to, to open that conversation up a little bit more. I mean, in the area of, I mean, listen, you can take it in any area you like, because in every area, almost every area that exists, there are disparities. 
Mm. Um, so in terms of voting rights, um, you know, they put into place the Voting Rights Act of 1965, I think it was. Yeah, Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the Supreme Court in the year 2013 came and gutted a, a key portion of that um, legislation. And that opened the doors for all of this voter suppression that we're now seeing in terms of, uh, you know, people, uh, parties, political parties, actually one political party in particular, <laughs> um, you know, to basically um, try to throw people off the voting rolls to close, you know, ID uh, the licensing places and, and counties that are disproportionately black and brown to move uh, voting facilities uh, away from, you know, college campuses so students can't vote. I mean, literally all this stuff to try to keep people from voting um, has mm -hmm. been enabled by the, I think, the ill-advised um, decision of the Supreme Court in 2013 when they gutted mm -hmm. the Voting Rights Act. Now Congress has to come back and legislate. They need to fix it. Um, but we tried before uh, and it was invalidated. Now they need to fix it. Um, on the area of health, we have all these health disparities, including the disparities that have been exacerbated by COVID. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, what we're going to need to do is data is going to be important. Every, all these places have been de declaring racism a public health threat. But you can't operate um, and close gaps uh, without the data to actually show you where the gaps are, and then without health equity strategies in order to actually mitigate the gaps. So what do I mean? Equity is not equality. Uh, equality is saying everybody has to say the same thing. Mm -hmm. Equity means that you actually have to fill the gaps and the holes as, as needed to bring everybody up to the same level. And that mm -hmm. might mean that some communities or some geographical areas need more assistance or more attention in order to bring them up to the desired level. Uh, and so we have to be comfortable as a society with the equity strategy um, and not just declare equality because what we're trying to do is uh, fill in historical um, gaps that have created these inequities. And, and that means that we have to be strategic about it. So, you know, operating to close those inequities means not just collecting the data, but also then developing the programmatic and policy strategies to actually close the gaps. Um, and then, you know, you can go across the board on incarceration, you can, you know, mm -hmm. schooling and education. I mean, literally, there are so many ways that this can be done. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. That helps kind of uh, make it a little bit more concrete, you know, because I think sometimes, uh, it's not always clear what the what the next steps are or the solutions or the places to move into. So it's nice to get a little bit more perspective on just some of the places. And, and you know, as you said, um, I think for the most part, it's pretty clear to most people that it ranges across all sorts of things. Um, but it's nice to just, you know, have some of those bullet points or areas to kind of like key in on. Absolutely. That's why I'm writing the book. <laughs> <laughs> so important. Yes. And Not, I, what was it like growing up in uh, Utah? It, I personally have had a very, uh, I would say, different experience than most of the people here. So um, I have a couple siblings that are biracial. Not at all the, the norm. Um, my, the, my mom's significant other uh, is an African-American man or was at the time. Um, so I got to see something that I don't think a lot of people see in predominantly white areas which is 
the huge disparity in treatment by other people. Right. So Mm -hmm. I would see, you know, people doing things that seem unspeakable and or just unimaginable in uh, other places. Right. Like I've lived in the Bay area. Uh, I lived in Kansas city for a short period of time. Uh, Things like people driving by and yelling, you know, racial slurs and things like that. Mm -hmm. And also experiences like um, I was dating a girl and she was uh, going to come over to my house and meet my mom and, and her boyfriend. And she, she, I remember very distinctly her asking, well, how am I supposed to act? What am I supposed to do? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? What are you supposed to do? Like, if he's rude, then treat him like you treat people that are rude to you. If he's nice, treat him like, like, what do you mean? Like, I don't understand what you're even saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and another piece uh, that I think is a little bit different for me uh, my mom had me read Roots when I was in sixth grade. Mm. Probably a little too heavy for for the for the age I was. Um, but I feel like you know I got I got a lot more context, right? A lot more of the history and the actual like graphic detail of the history than a lot of my peers. So to me, that book was like this thick. That yeah, no, I know. <laughs> Trust me, I know. I remember. Uh-huh. Uh. But, you know, so I think I had a little bit different of experience. And then like we've been talking about a little bit more exposure mm-hmm. to some of these things. So like you were saying, um, you know, with the military experience, I felt a lot more integrated, at least in terms of like, these, these are people, like people are people, you know, like however they act and how you're saying everybody has different, you know, abilities and, and whatnot. Like, you know, I, like I, it came much more easily to me to, to just be like, okay, well, when you see how these people act, and then we'll go from there. Um, but it was very, it has been very clear to me as I've moved around, as I've seen other experiences and, and whatnot, the difference between having that exposure and not having that exposure, you know, not to put that old girlfriend on blast, but like that, that experience of her being like, how do I act was so confusing to me. And I had no tools at the time mm-hmm. to, to, to explain to her, like I, I, and it was just so foreign. So uh, and I don't think that's a super uncommon experience. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's a, a direction that we can take this so that I'm not talking and taking all your guest time, but to increase exposure of things like that, do you have any ideas or, or things that don't involve reading this big of a book um, <laughs> that might help people be able to kind of broaden their mm-hmm. horizons or the way that they kind of look at the world? I mean, that goes back to what I said about education in schools. Curricula matters. Mm. Uh, and when you've got curricula where people are playing politics with curricula, you currently Senator Tom Cotton, I think of Arkansas, I think he is, is trying to prevent uh, a curriculum based on the 1619 project from getting into schools anywhere in the country. The 1619 project was a project of the New York Times where they talked about um, the evolution of slavery uh, in the United States of America in all areas, business, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, medicine, religion, science, you know, you, knew, you name it. Uh, and so you've got senators, U.S. senators actively trying to prevent pe- young people of all backgrounds from getting that education. You might ask yourself why. What's the threat of young people learning about slavery in our country from a non-romanticized viewpoint, (laughs) from a a historically accurate viewpoint? What is wrong with that? Why is that such a threat, Tom Cotton? Um, And I think it's because, you know, they don't want people to become educated. 
They don't mm -hmm. want people to actually, um, you know, start to question uh, the, the white supremacist worldview. Uh, they want to keep people um, from actually having that exposure uh, because then, you know, they get to perpetuate the lie. And this is an even bigger lie than what happened in the last election. Mm -hmm. And that bigger lie is, is that we are, that the lie that they like to tell is that we're not all equal. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the reality is that we're all human beings um, and it's through curricula, it's through education and exposure. If you live in a remote area, it's going to have to be through curricula mm -hmm. uh, and through um, programming on you know, television and whatnot. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you live in a diverse area and you know, you're segmented in your community because you might live in the wealthy side of town, which typically is you know, whiter um mm -hmm. and you don't you know you don't then you need you are in the same community with people who are diverse mm -hmm. uh that means that you know you need to be uh, participating in intramural activities across the city um mm -hmm. making sure that you are getting to know people um, of diverse backgrounds through the um, experiences that you have both uh in the school environment and the after school environment summer years summer summer uh time as well Hmm. Really, really useful. And one of the things I was, I was thinking about, because I think there's a lot of people that they're not intentionally trying to hurt or be racist, but there, there's kind of like this ignorance in that they don't, they don't know any better. And they're like, like Donovan's ex-girlfriend who was just like, I don't know how I should be. And, you know, that's something as a minority woman myself that I experience on a on a regular basis where it's just like, uh, and I just don't want to interact with it because I'm just like annoyed of the, the ignorance and like, you know, how people come up to me and say ni hao ma, even though I don't speak Chinese. And, and that's just, you know, an assumption based on the color of my skin. And I'm just wondering, you know, for the people that are not quite, you know, they, they're, they're not ill-intentioned or any, they're not trying to hurt people, but they just, yeah, they need the exposure, they need the education, but what would you want to say to these people that like want to do better? They, they, they don't want to be unknowingly racist or, or do anything of that nature. Like, what would you suggest to them if you, if you could? I would say great. I, <laughs> I, I am so glad that you want to learn about other cultures. Mm -hmm. um, and a part of learning is actually sometimes making mistakes. Let me tell you my story. <laughs> I, I went to, my dad retired and we moved to San Antonio, Texas. And mm -hmm. that's where I graduated from high school. But I came back uh, the summer after my first year of college and got an internship at a bank downtown. Mm -hmm. I became fast friends with two older Latina women mm -hmm. who took me under their wing and showed me the ropes at the bank and, you know, all this other stuff. We would go out to lunch literally every day. I loved them and they loved me. Mm -hmm. So one day we were sitting out at lunch and I just said, oh, so do you all go back to Mexico to visit your relatives? <laughs> and they looked at me and then they looked at each other and they just <laughs> burst out laughing. And if I were white, I would have been beat red. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the fact of the matter is, is that I didn't know that asking them that question was like them asking me, do I go visit my relatives in Africa? 
Mm-hmm. The fact of the matter is, is that their people have been in the what we consider the United States of America for centuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and I didn't know that, you know, I just assumed that everybody had migrated uh, across the, the Rio Grande River and set up shop <laughs> in, in Texas. Mm-hmm. And so they had to educate me and mm-hmm. they didn't get offended, uh, but they had to educate me. And I had to go through that embarrassing moment mm-hmm. so that I could learn. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. I'm hearing it's like being willing to be embarrassed for, for one to be, you know, like a sense of humility in a in a way. And the other thing I think what I, and I would love to hear your thoughts about it is that I think like fear stops people. Like they're afraid of being embarrassed. They're afraid of looking stupid to like or, ask the questions. Or worse, being know. called a racist. Or, or yeah, we call a racist. So that, that stops them. What are your thoughts about like addressing the yeah. fear? Yeah, so you know, fear is a real thing. I'm not going to act like it doesn't. Um, it doesn't stop people, and yes, it does. Um, but I would say, you know, s- start small. <laughs> <laughs> Don't start by trying to rub people's, you know, afros, <laughs> violating their personal space and their educational experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, start by, you know, doing some reading, doing some mm-hmm. exploration on your own, uh, and then come from a, a place of some semi-literate, semi-informed perspectives mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to actually broach conversations that might be delicate and explain mm-hmm. up front that you're just trying, you're trying to learn because yeah. you, uh, you know, you believe um, that, you know, that it's important to have a multicultural society that you believe that, you know, um, in relations between all people mm-hmm. uh, and that you're trying and striving uh, to be better and to do better. And so, you know, open up the conversation to, with vulnerability. Mm. What do you think? Is that the right approach, Alice? Oh, my perspective, I agree. I, when, I was, when you were saying that, what I was thinking in my head, I was like, I would love for someone to actually ask me that. <laughs> rarely rarely like oh I I'm curious to understand like what is it like to be an Asian American in the U.S. Uh, and I've, I've been asked a few times actually was on a podcast about it a, a little while ago it has yet to be published but I was like I actually would love to like share my opinions but I'm rarely like asked and yeah they don't know any better but it's just I think being curious would get me excited to like oh yeah, I'm happy to fill in the blanks or the gaps for you, or at least share my perspective. I know that my perspective as an Asian American, not maybe exactly the same of everyone else out there, but I can share from my own lived experience and what that's like. And if you're curious, I'm happy to share. So what is it like, Alice? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's definitely, it's been challenging in a way because it's like some like, something similar that would always have to, I used to waitress I'm Chinese American, but I used to waitress at a Japanese restaurant, a couple of Japanese restaurants. So there was lots of assumptions that I was Japanese. Even though most people in Japanese restaurants aren't actually Japanese. Just <laughs> they're just some sort of Asian kind of a thing. But don't make assumptions that you know which one. <laughs> For one, but the question that I would always consistently get asked is like, "Where are you from?" And in my in the back of my mind, I knew they meant like what country I'm from. And I was like, I remember this couple came in one day and asked me like that question. And I was like annoyed, but I was like, I'm from California. I knew they meant country, but I was like, I'm just going to say I'm from California because that's true. And then, and then they like had a 
push push the boundary they didn't quite get it and they were and they were like no like where are you originally from and I was like I'm originally from California <laughs> and then and then I was just like okay I don't want to cause a scene or you know hum- humiliate them or make them feel embarrassed so I was like I think what you meant to ask is like what is my heritage and my heritage is Chinese so, so I followed it up with that and what are they yeah. And I think they, they kind of was like, oh, okay. And they, they just kind of went back to eating and they didn't, they weren't like curiously engaged (laughs) by any means, but if they were, I would have been like excited in those moments. Cause I get the question, like, where are you from a lot in with the intention? Like you wouldn't ask a white person that it's like, I wouldn't go up to like a redhead and be like, so are you from Ireland? (laughs) Just like, Like who does that kind of a thing? And it's just like these subtle things that aren't harmful they're not like gonna hurt me in any capacity but it just like they happen so frequently they get annoying to me so that's 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 the kind of thing but then there's also the other situation where I do get like cat calls walking down the street based on the color of my skin like screaming like racial slurs or you know ni hao man it's just like things actually what happened one time I was in actually I was in the communications course with with landmark and someone actually came up to me and said nihama and i was just like instantly triggered and i just like didn't you i was like yeah okay and then i like walked away because i was so triggered and i realized later in that course that it was because i was associating with my past lived experience and that like walking down the street guys would roll down their windows and scream that at me so it was just like making that association from the past was triggering me where i didn't want to interact with that guy even though he was just kind of being ignorant and he meant no harm. He was nice, innocent. He wasn't hitting on me or anything like that, but it was just like my instant reaction because of my past experience. But then there was also all the past shame that I've dealt with in that, uh, yes, I'm Chinese, but I don't speak Chinese. So there's like a lifetime of shame (laughs) that I've been dealt with, with that. So I get annoyed for that reason. So those are just some of my many, many experiences as an Asian American woman in the U S Wow. And have you yeah. found over the last four years that it's gotten worse? Because I, I mean, all of the hate crime stuff I'm mm-hmm. saying seems to be uh, directed um, because of the Chinese virus stuff that, uh, you know, that our late president used to say. Um, yeah, it's been targeted. So, yeah, I think it has, especially in this past year, it has gotten worse. There are more like there's thousands of Asian hate crimes. Um, more there's attacks like there have been attacks in the in the bay area where like people would just like go shove an 80 or 90 year old asian man for no reason and i was just like they're just innocently on a walk and like one died and i was just like this is not okay in society where like there's so much division and hate to to that extreme and i think it's just like a lack of understanding, a lack of um, communication, a lack of like education, like all the things you were talking about. And, and yeah, it's, it's not acceptable by any means. It's like the subtle things I kind of see it as on a gradient of, of, yeah, like there's subtle things like saying Nihama without ill intention, low harm, but still technically racist (laughs) to some degree. It's technically still racist. And then there's like extreme levels of like killing people that's that's way not okay but it's just like still we have to like get the source of it is still miscommunication misunderstandings kind of assumptions based on what you're fed through the media 
and and yeah, we need to close close that gap. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, this has been illuminating. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I got in a whole tangent. No. So I'm sure Donovan has some questions. I was talking too long. <laughs> so go, go not, a, not a huge question, just an observation as as the conversation was unfolding, which um, it's something we've touched on before on here, but you know, it sounds like one of the one of the core issues and one of the core things that people really need to think about is the type of assumptions that they end up making and mm -hmm. how that comes across. Because I think it's really easy to take one or two data points if you don't have exposure, like we were talking about earlier. If you have almost no information, you take those one or two things and hold them as actual beliefs of, of how you think things really are. And I think like slowing down and really thinking about what do I know about this group of people? What do I know about this individual person, right? People are individuals and picking out what people look like and making an assumption based on that is just going to prove wrong so much of the time. It's like when I'm out with my siblings, uh, a lot of times people will say like, oh, this is your brother. Like he must be adopted. Like, nope, sure isn't. He's not. That's not a thing. Um, and those kinds of assumptions, I just, they don't gain anything for you, right? You don't right. get anything by saying, uh, you know, by just assuming someone speaks a certain language or that someone has a certain background or that someone has certain traits or whatever else. So um, anyway, that's just something that kind of struck me as, as the conversation was unfolding is that the root of a lot of these things are just these assumptions based on almost no information. And I, I think it could be helpful for people to just really think about what they actually know about individuals before uh, just going out on a limb and, and saying something or asking a very pointed and directed question when they have no other background. I think that that is an excellent piece of advice. Um, because what you're forced to do then is take people as they are people and then build based on your getting to know them process, not based on any preconceived notion of who they are. Mm -hmm. uh, and that I think can serve everybody well. Absolutely. And hopefully avoid some of these awkward conversations. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love it. I love it. Donovan has just given us a formula. <laughs> how we should approach people in life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Blank yeah. slate. We don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> You're a human being. Oh, You're a human being. Everyone's a human being. <laughs> Everyone's just trying to get by in life. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Maya, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on our show. Is there anything you'd like to plug before we wrap up today? I do want to return to my husband's book. Uh, We're Better Than This, My Fight for the Future of Our Democracy. It really is a good read. And it's gotten two NAACP uh, nominations for two NAACP Image Awards in wow. the area of outstanding literary work, um, debut author, and outstanding literary work, um, nonfiction. And the audio version of it, if you don't like to read, um, has just been nominated for Best Audio Book of the Year from the American Publishers Association. Wow. So I encourage you all to check it out. It's a really great read. And he's talking about what we all must do uh, to preserve and defend the, and protect our democracy uh, so that, uh, you know, we can be free in this country. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Is that, is there any part of the audiobook that actually Elijah like 
has any <laughs> speaking parts or was it is it so we recorded it after his passing. Oh, after his passing. Okay. So the person who's actually playing Elijah's mm -hmm. voice is mm -hmm. Lawrence Fishburne. You know him? No. Where is he, he from? He is a Hollywood actor. Uh, he he was Neo. In, no, not Neo, but um, <laughs> what was he in The Matrix? Morpheus. Or Morpheus. Oh, Morpheus. Morpheus. Oh, the guy that plays Morpheus. Whoa. Oh, my God. I love his voice. <laughs> Awesome. Now I got to go get the audio version. <laughs> and so we've got speaker Nancy Pelosi. She's oh, wow. her forward. Um, uh, Lawrence Fishburne reads uh -huh. Elijah's voice. And then I do the afterward. Um, oh, wow. So I have a small part there too. That's awesome. Oh man. Yeah. I got to get the audiobook version. <laughs> yeah. So, so the book for everyone, um, just to recap, it's called We're Better Than This my fight for the future of our democracy by Congressman Elijah Cummings. This is his, um, he had passed away. Uh, what has it been almost a year now or October, 2019. October. Wow. Oh, 2019. Oh, so a year and a half. Yeah. Wow. And he's still like making an impact in the world beyond yeah. the grave, which is incredible. And you're, you're bringing his legacy across the country and sharing his, his wisdom and his knowledge and closing that gap. That's incredible. It's the least I can do. He was an amazing man. Yeah, and I'm absolutely. honored and privileged to, to be in his life. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Great. Well, it's been an honor and privilege to have you on our show and share all these amazing things that I think will really help people get a better understanding of each other and hopefully be open to getting educated and understanding like that we're all human at the core of what it is that we are so thank you for sharing thank you for having me it's yes. so great to see you and Absolutely. it's a pleasure to meet you likewise thank you for listening to this week's episode of happy talks with dr allison donovan we hope you got something of value to help bring a little more happiness into your life what lesson or takeaway did you get from today's episode? For more tips and tools, be sure to check out my website at dralicefong.com and you can find me on my social media handles at dralicefong. You can find me at howtohappy.com and follow me on my social media handles at howtohappy. Catch, Catch you next time. time.